Hello, I'm Michael White. It's Friday the 30th of October, and today, as leaders from across the European Union gather for their six-monthly summit in Brussels, we ask, is the ground being prepared for President Blair, or is it being taken away from underneath him? We, uh, the British uh, government, uh, believe that uh, Tony Blair would be an excellent uh, candidate and an excellent person to hold the job of President of the Council. On Halloween weekend, it's potentially a nightmare scenario for the British Conservatives. We have a very clear view. We don't think Europe should have a president, and we don't support Tony Blair in that role, even if there is a president. But would the former Prime Minister be any more popular with his own Labour Party rank and file, or the rest of Europe for that matter, and with the coast nearly clear for the full ratification of the Lisbon Treaty, we ask how, if, Europe is about to change. From guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily. To chew over all of this are my panellists, Julian Glover, Guardian Chief Leader Writer. Hello, Julian. Hello, and Sebastian Borger, London correspondent of the German weekly paper, uh, the Rheinische Merkel, which must be Rhineland Mercury. Uh, Sebastian, hello to you too. It is good morning. Uh, the summit of European government chiefs is underway, and while they're supposed to be thrashing out a common position on climate change ahead of the Copenhagen summit, the vulgar topic on everyone's lips is who's going to be the first president of the Council of Europe, Mr. Europe. Officially, the job doesn't yet exist and won't until Czech uh, President Václav Klaus finalises his country's ratification of the treaty. If he does, we think he will, but that hasn't stopped tongues wagging anyway. It's more interesting... Uh, Tony Blair has been making all the headlines, but French President Nicolas Sarkozy is understood to be uh, belatedly a lukewarm, having been keen in the first place. And this week, German Chancellor Angela Merkel is reported to have said she's not keen on having a Mr. Flash as president. Who did she mean? Sebastian, you cover British politics for a German audience. How do your countrymen view our former Prime Minister? As a very charismatic and um, good-looking politician, someone who got something done in Britain, um, who had a good presidency of the European Council in 2005, um, and who dragged his country into an illegal war. And I think that is an extremely important uh, factor in the way that the political, not just people in the street, but the political elite um, look at Tony Blair. He's the liar. That's what they say into your face, obviously behind um, uh, behind their hands. But but they they don't they don't like him at all. It's more the political elite who say that than the man in the street, isn't it? No, no. The man in the street, I think, is is clear about that. Um, you know, the Germans were eighty percent against the war. Doesn't make it illegal. It, well, Kofi Annan said so. Who he? He was the I UN Secretary General. Okay, some lawyers say it's illegal, some don't. <coughs> Julian, um, would Tony Blair want this job? It's a mystery to me. It's a bit sort of like watching paint dry being President of the European Union, isn't it? Yes, it's extraordinary. He's going to give up the 2.5 million he gets from one bank, the 2 million from another. One of the things, of course, is it isn't for life, this job. It'll enhance his status. It perhaps may get rid of some of the stigma of Iraq, the idea that he just is the former British Prime Minister treading the boards for the rest of his life. And we do have this strange situation now. Prime ministers are getting younger in Britain. They're retiring earlier because they don't stay forever. And they've got to do something. They can't just hang around in the retirement home. He's, what, 56 now? And it would be two, under the Lisbon Treaty, two, two and a half year terms. So it's a maximum of five. Take him to 61. 
a young man by standards a generation ago. Yes, and he's made a bit of money. He's made £10 million in the last last couple of years. He can afford to do something quite glamorous, not too demanding maybe, a bit of international travel. It won't be a 24-7 job, I imagine. It's not no, quite the same as... No, it certainly as, won't. Not quite Isn't the same that as the being interesting thing? You, um, Michael said he would be Mr Europe. I don't think he would be. I think still Mr Europe will be the new Foreign Secretary of Europe. Whereas this guy is supposed to be the chairman of the council. It did this title, Il Presidente, which the conservatives now use in a derogatory way, um, is totally wrong anyway. But that's true, in which case, who's going to be the foreign minister? A lot of people say what you're saying. Do we know? Should More we important. be concentrating on that? We should, be, we should concentrate on that. And it's very interesting that we don't know yes, who's going to be. Yes, because we look at the top job and the man who stops the traffic, as the phrase somebody used. And that's true about Blair. Yeah. Of course, love him or hate him, he stops traffic. He does. It's According to our Guardian columnist, uh, George Monbiot, the traffic will be stopped as soon as he's president because somebody will wish to arrest him for the kind of <laughs> war crimes you've been talking about, Sebastian. Do Indeed. we really think that's possible for the president of the European Union? No, I think he'll have the same immunity as so a serving, uh, serving Perhaps that's uh, the attraction uh, chief of government. Well, Some indeed, say yes. it is, Julian Glover. <laughs> right. David Miliband would be a good uh, foreign secretary of Europe. Joschka Fischer, our former foreign yes, minister, would be. Career. Although, of course, he's a green politician and we've just elected a uh, conservative liberal government, so he won't get it. But he's potentially troubled. Get him out of the system. It, yes, not anymore. He's lecturing in Princeton. Not much trouble anymore. Uh, Karl Bildt, the the the, yes. the 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 secretary, foreign secretary of Sweden, would be a good candidate. Maybe a little too forceful for people. Uh, do they want now? You've raised an interesting question there, Sebastian Julian. Do we want uh, a forceful, effective, charismatic, traffic-stopping president of Europe? Some people say not only Blair's the wrong guy; uh, the idea's wrong. We want someone who respects the rights of small states. The smalls don't like big state people like Blair, uh, and that we want somebody completely different, low-key, somebody whose name and telephone number Henry Kissinger doesn't have. Yes, I mean, there's two ways of <coughs> looking at that. One is um, if you don't like the European Union you don't want a strong EU, you probably don't want a big flash guy at the top of it. That's why well, the no, Tories... Well, a different EU, not a... Yes, well, but the Tory party, which is quite sceptical of the kind of EU we've got, does want somebody obscure for that reason. They want to diminish the whole institution. But then there are other people who, like the EU, want it to thrive, but feel it works best when states come together. They aren't just told what to do by Tony Blair, who pops in somewhere off a jet, you know, looking a bit suntanned, says, <laughs> right, guys, come on, you know, I'm going to tell you what to do. And they say, hang on, no, you don't tell us what to do. You have to listen to us. You have to work with us. And small states will want that. New states will. Europe isn't a, a single federal state. There's huge diversity, even if there's full commitment, among, which there isn't in the populations, but even if there's commitment amongst the heads of government, there's different views, different needs across Europe. And the job is to bring those people together, not to lead them. And Blair, people know from experience, is a bit of a leader. He's a bit of a leader. Uh, now, uh, changing the text slightly, earlier this year, William Hague set out the British Conservatives' uh, objections to the creation, as you said, Julian, of the role of EU uh, Council President and memorably described the effect it would have on Blair's successor as Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, if Blair were to win that job. And it is, of course, rumoured that one Tony Blair may now be interested in the job. Now, if that makes us uncomfortable on these benches, just imagine how it is viewed in Downing Street. And I'm... 
I must warn ministers opposite that having tangled with Tony Blair across this dispatch box on literally hundreds of occasions, I know his mind almost as well as they do. I can tell them that when he goes off to a major political conference of a centre-right party and simultaneously refers to himself as a socialist, he is on manoeuvres. And he is... <laughs> he is busily... He is busily building coalitions as only he can. And we can all picture the scene at a European Council sometime next year. Picture the face of our poor Prime Minister as the name of Blair is placed in nomination by one President and Prime Minister after another. The look of utter gloom on his face. Ho, ho, ho. All very funny. Uh, but not true, as it turned out yesterday... Uh, the Prime Minister said through what may have been gritted teeth that he'd be backing his old friend and enemy. I, I think that there's going to be discussion on the, uh, you know, the margins of this council about uh, uh, the appointment of commissioners and the appointment of president of the council. Uh, let, let me say very, very clearly uh, that we, uh, the British uh, government, uh, believe that uh, Tony Blair would be an excellent uh, candidate and an excellent person to hold the job of president of the council. I believe that his uh, credentials are, are well proven, uh, his international experience is well known, his expertise on environmental, economic and security issues is known to everybody throughout Europe as well as known uh, throughout the world. Uh, but Tony Blair has not declared himself as a candidate at this, uh, at this stage. There is no agreement yet that we set up the position of presidency of the council. Uh, that would have to happen before any decision could be made about who uh, would be a future uh, uh, president. Foreign Secretary David Miliband, a Blair protégé, weighed in too. And many of the conversations that one has here or I had in Luxembourg on Monday do start with discussing names. But then when you say to people, look, there's a prior question. What sort of voice do you want Europe to have around the world? Do you want Europe to have a strong voice on big global issues? You begin to get a different conversation. And there's no point in hiding it. There is a debate happening about what sort of role... People want the permanent president of the council, the five-year president of the council, to play. It's a different role than that occupied by a six-month rotating president. It's a different role in respect to the third countries that the European Union deals with, the United States, Russia, China, <laughs> India, etc. And there is a discussion, first of all, to be had about that prior question. And I think it's really important, not just for the British press, but for the international media that are here, that question of Europe's decision about what role it wants to play in the world is going to be critical to whether or not people come forward as candidates and then who gets the job. And I hope that that will be part of the discussion because the whole purpose of the Lisbon Treaty was to make for a more efficient and effective European Union, not just within its borders, but beyond its borders. Julian, how's Tony Blair's uh, uh, prospects viewed by the Labour Party now? Well, it's strange, isn't it? There's quite a lot of people in Labour who thought, thank goodness we've got rid of Tony Blair. We've got rid of that pro-American man who fought the Iraq war, and he's come back. He's not gone away. They'll be pleased he's not attacking Gordon Brown, that there isn't a domestic political dispute between there's them. There's never been any danger of that. There's never been a danger. And of a lot of Labour people actually still like Blair. Uh, well, a lot of them now feel he's the only one who can save them. He's, he's the positive force. He's the face that the public actually quite like. Steve Bell, our cartoonist, had a... Uh, a cartoon in The Guardian this week with a picture of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown dragging each other down, Brown being the weight that's pulling Blair's presidency 
or can prospects of the presidency also downwards. Had another one of Blair morphing into Radovan Karabic. Yes, that was pretty <laughs> brutal. <laughs> Sebastian, did you think that was unfair? I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought it was. But in the world we're in, it's not necessarily a good thing to hear the phone call saying, hello, it's Gordon, I'm on your side. You, it may have been a bit of a fatal blow. Slightly rather, dangerous, yes. Rather than the essential help. I tell you and what, David I think Miliband, what... it's interesting. I mean, whether, whether he wants that foreign job or whether yes. he wants the presidency job himself. Um, but more uh, important, I think, whether than the yes or no from Gordon. Gordon Brown is the clear no from David Cameron, uh, and he's gonna he's being listened to in European capitals much more these days. Than well, Gordon I'm going to come to that because this week uh, Cameron refreshed his objections to Blair at his weekly press conference in the St Stephen's Club in Westminster under the watchful gaze of a portrait of Sir Winston Churchill, which must keep him up to the mark. Well, obviously uh, we don't support the Lisbon Treaty. We think we think the British public have been cheated effectively by their politicians because we were promised the referendum on the Constitution. The Lisbon Treaty is almost identical to the Constitution. So people feel cheated and that's why we've been determined to press for the referendum as long as that we conceivably can. Now, obviously, if it becomes clearer that, uh, that this treaty is going to be implemented, is going to be ratified, if that time becomes clearer, then obviously we'll have to set out uh, what we would do about that. I don't propose to say any more about that today. Because I think it is right, while there is the prospect uh, of holding out for that referendum, we should continue to do that. On the issue of, of Tony Blair and, and the President of Europe, we have a very clear view. We don't think Europe should have a president. We think that is a move towards a more centralised, a more state-like model for Europe, whereas we think Europe should be about cooperation and, and uh, countries doing things together. Um, and we don't support Tony Blair in that role, even if there is a president. If there has to be some sort of role like that, we would much prefer it was more of a chairmanic role, uh, coordinating the Council of Ministers rather than some new powerful president, as I say, taking Europe in the direction of being more like a country rather than an association of states. And I think that is where a large number of um, our fellow countrymen are, are as well. Sebastian, um, Merkel may not be keen on Blair. She's a pretty cool customer, keeps her cards close to her chest. Uh, but she's not wild about Cameron either, is is she? Despite the fact he's going to be probably British Prime Minister very soon. It's fascinating. You know, my, myself and my colleagues, we, we've been trying to find out what Angela Merkel thinks about Tony Blair for the last few weeks. And Absolutely nobody got anywhere so far. She really, also the Foreign Office doesn't know anything at all. And they say so. They say, we don't know. She's, she's keeping it to herself. But she has every right to be pretty dismissive of David Cameron, doesn't he? And she is. Uh, and she is. There's no doubt about it. You, you realise that we've, we, that all the G big German political parties have um, offices in London. They more or less closed the office of the Conservative Party, the German Conservative Party here in London, as a sign of their attitude this is towards the Conrad Adenauer, Conrad Adenauer Foundation, yeah, perhaps, yeah. with the most best connected guy in there for the last few years, who actually brought Cameron and Merkel together, who, who really knew everybody in the Conservative Party, and they've now sent him to Madrid, um, as a sign of disapproval, of disapproval of, of David Cameron. Um, and, and there won't be a successor for the time being. Now, you can, you can, if you're a Tory, you can say, well, fine, not nice, but once we get elected, they'll send someone else, and that's true. But I do think he, they've, they've lost a lot of credit in Berlin. Now, Ju Julian, I'm, I'm puzzled by this because I can normally 
understand what a political party and a political leader is up to, even when I don't agree with it, you can see the strategy. I'm genuinely mystified by what uh, David Cameron thinks he's doing, apart from short-term party tactics, appeasing his own right wing while he modernizes his party, in pulling out of the European People's Party, the big conservative group at Strasbourg, and getting mixed up with some pretty rough trade in Eastern Europe. Does it make sense to you? Well, it it makes sense if you look at history. It's, it's, it's the law of unintended consequences. I don't think David Cameron had much heard of the European People's Party, or let alone anybody in the Polish or Latvian parties he's, he's now aligned with. He's a well-educated, expensively when, educated young man. Yes, but when he promised during the leadership election, um, all those years ago, not very long now, but it seems like it, that he would get rid of the EPP, that was the thing that brought over enough MPs for him to win the leadership. Now he but felt, that was then. That was then, and he then faces a choice. Does he retreat from that, and he could have done, but what does he get in return? He would argue that he's got a huge commitment from the right of the party to support the modernisation on all sorts of other issues that he care about much more. David Cameron, I don't think, in the early days, was interested in foreign policy. He saw it as one of those tiresome things that bothers people who actually want to do stuff at home. Now, lots of leaders start off like that. Not many of them stay like it. Um, once they get into the job, they realise it's about international relations. Yeah. That's what the Prime Minister does. The Prime Minister will have to keep going to so Europe. We should, so we should like see him as a working experience student so learning on the job, learned. should we? So I think he's learning. But but there is another, and possibly for pro-Europeans, darker side to it. He's very, very Eurosceptic. He is. He is not yeah. somebody, yep. he is not somebody who yes, privately do. would think leaving the EPP is a mad act. He would say the EPP is a federalist organisation, yes. and I'm not a federalist. Why am I part of it? Now, people he's not a neo-Nazi either. He's not a neo-Nazi. And, um, but nor are his allies. Come on, get, get off exactly. that plane. I mean, it, it really overdone the way you've, you've, you at The Guardian have been dealing with these parties. They've come out of communism 20 years ago. Now, do please imagine what Germany would have been like 20 years after losing the war in, in the mid-1960s. You wouldn't have got apologies for, for massacres here, there and everywhere out of the Germans then. It needed time for people to get through that, to work through their past, and they will. But, but to, to basically denounce them, them as non-democrats is actually really unfair. Uh, many people who know Eastern Europe uh, and Central Europe very well uh, including British historian Norman Davis, married to a Pole, would take slight issue with that. I understand what you're saying, but I think they would say, hang on, Cameron has sought out allies who are people he could have absorbed in a larger group in the EPP. Uh, uh, the socialists have the same problems, do yes. they not? But nonetheless, he's chosen this path, and this is what he's ended up He sought in, the uh, allies out, not necessarily because he approved them, but because to function inside the European Parliament, he needed, he needed to build yeah. a group. Okay. Now, that Let's isn't the greatest excuse in the world, but it is a bit different from saying he saw them and loved them and wanted to be with them. Yeah. He needed people to form a new party because he couldn't cope with just being isolated, sitting with the BMP and whoever else on the backbench of the European Parliament. So they made a choice. They had to build a new grouping. These were the people available to join it. Now, that doesn't justify necessarily associating with such people, but it does explain some of how it happened. Sebastian, we should move on. Last word to you on this subject. I, I think I, I went to the Tory party conference earlier this month uh, and thought, um, you know, it's all a pretense and they will come into the European fold. I, I came away from Manchester and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't quite sure anymore. I do believe that he's 
deeply Eurosceptic and that we are in for very interesting times around the conference table in Brussels. Whoever uh, chairs it, I, it won't be Tony Blair. I, I think he'll come into the fold too and that he'll, he'll uh, betray his own right wing, which is what happens. Can I change the subject quickly and say... Lisbon Treaty, we assume it'll come in. We assume that uh, attention-seeking Vaclav Klaus, as a Czech journalist called him to me on the phone the other day, will finally sign uh, when he's had his moment of glory uh, and that we'll have the Lisbon Treaty. Uh, how will Europe change, Sebastian, in a real sense? Uh, not the theory in practical matters, getting things done with a 27-nation union. I think we will have a slightly more coherent foreign policy if we get the right guy or girl in place in that job. That's the important job. And who could be president, incidentally? I forgot to ask you that. Apart from Blair, uh, we, we, we talked of all sorts of people, Felipe Gonzalez. Uh, uh, Felipe Gonzalez would be uh, a good... Pavo Lipone from do Finland. Fine. Uh, John uh, Bruton would do it fine. No worries about... You know, you need Irish, some... Uh, former Irish Prime former Minister. Prime Dutch Prime, Prime Minister, Balkanende. Balkanende would do it fine. And Juncker, of course, would do well, it fine. Well, they wouldn't stop the traffic, Schüssel, would they? you know. No, well, come on, get off the traffic. I mean, it, they, they, <laughs> these, these are the people who, who have to stay in Brussels and organize the bureaucracy and, and get the council to take okay. coherent decisions. The, so you, the don't need a, office, you don't need a charismatic leader? You need a charismatic foreign minister. Okay, we'll stick to that point. Now, Lisbon Treaty, what's going to change things? I, I tell you what, I think the, ma the, the, the most important decision this year has not been the, the uh, enforced yes by the Irish people. The most important decision was by, the, by our constitutional court in Germany, which set a very clear limit to any further integration whatsoever. And I think that, that is, and in, in, in that way, the Tories are, with the tide in Europe, I believe, there's a very strong Eurosceptic tide in, in a lot of the bigger countries, not least my own. And, and we, the pro-Europeans, will have to fight very hard to, to keep, to actually keep all, all that is good about the EU and all, about, all that's good about integration um, and, and, and not lose that before we start off and, and think about further integration. See, I, I agree with all that as a, a sort of sceptical pro-European, if I can put it the other way around. It seemed to me the Eurosceptic view of uh, federal Europe was complete fantasy, uh, Julian Glover. Do we, is that fair? Well, it's fantasy now. It, it, it wasn't it's a fantasy. fantasy for 20 years. It, there were plenty of people who wanted it to happen. Though. Yeah, some but it was them, never going to happen. Perhaps not, but some of them quite close to the centre of the European Union, and some of the key elements of it did happen. I mean, with the euro did happen, yes. and that was a remarkable thing for Europe to do. If it hadn't happened, we would have said, of course, this mad idea of a single currency, of course it was never really going to happen. Well, it did, and it worked. And other aspects well, of the European Union... The market tells have a slightly different story, but anyway, go on. Possibly, no. but... But you can go and spend it in lots of different countries and you can have accounts in it and people trust it. I think it's uh, at least as trusted as sterling, you'll find, Mike. But yes, the, I don't dispute that point. But to reverse your question, maybe what's going to change is what's not going to change. I agree, Lisbon probably is the end of the road. That then throws the question to the Tory party. They're not going to get another treaty in a couple of years' time to have a referendum on yes. if they're in power. No, they're not, so are they? We agree the big, on that, don't we? The big, yes, we do. The big test for the Tory party is what do they do in a few weeks' time when we all assume this becomes Close the effective signs. rules. They have to come out and, and say that, that's it. I think more than anything else, much more than the EPP will be the test yes, for the Conservative Party. Exactly. Do they just go in as a new government and wreck everything? And I don't think they want to. I, I'm, no. I've talked to lots of them about this. Um, they're pretty Eurosceptic. They go on about the Lisbon Treaty. They're obsessed with it, but they're not going to rip it to pieces. They don't want to win and become the party of anti-Europeanism again. They won't and have the time they to won't do have that. The time. They, they won't have the time. They won't have the domestic crisis, weak sterling, weak balance And nor do they have the electoral mandate. And 
the terrible evasions of the party at the moment on the radio discussing why they know what they're going to do, but they're not going to tell us straight away. Perhaps there's also an evasion of the need to talk up anti-Europeanism within the party. Um, it's pretty painful the way that people like William Hague are discussing Tory European policy, but at least they're not going on the radio and saying this Lisbon Treaty is so evil, we promise to destroy it. Right, let me move on to what some would say an even more important issue. It is alleged that the planet is cooking gently in the microwave of uh, CO2 emissions. We have the Copenhagen summit coming up. We don't know what progress they're making in the ongoing discussions in the uh, 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 Brussels summit. Uh, Sebastian, uh, what can the EU do to cough up enough money to make the European position in Copenhagen respectable when we know that the Americans and the Chinese, the really big players, are dragging their feet? I, I think our position as, as the European Union is, is fairly honourable so far. I think we've taken the right decisions. What, what the problem is for, for us in, in the whole of Europe, as in Britain, is follow through on all the nice words. You know, we've set very tough targets um, for 2050. Now, let's set tougher targets for 2020 and then maybe 2015 and actually show the world that we're willing to do it. The da- yes, the danger for oh. Europe is that we will say we'll have these great commitments, Britain will do it too, and we'll say, well, actually, just look at the small print. We won't do it in Britain, we'll do it in, in Romania. And that ghastly power station, well, that won't be there. We'll get rid of the power station. It'll look like we've done very well. Actually, the countries that have already modernised or to the extent that Britain is a modern country, um, we will stick with the infrastructure we have and we'll use Eastern Europe to be the change. But I do think Europe's done well. Um, it's led on it. I, I have to say, when I see kind of global summits talked up as make or break big moments for the world, your heart does sink slightly because you know it will never really quite be the but, big but moment. But that's phony, isn't and it, Sebastian? But there are lots of pe- good people in the European Union, again, I'd say, amongst them David Miliband, who've done a lot of... And, and his brother, of course, um, Ed Miliband, who've done a lot... To, to, towards um, getting the world sit up and notice what we're doing in, in Europe and, and to, to get us ag- to agree Carbon on, on trading, a bit generous to begin with, but we're getting it better. Yes. Yeah. Well, indeed, yes, yes. Yes, we are, aren't we? Yes. Okay, let's end on a positive note. I hadn't thought of the Miliband brothers quite as one does of the Polish brothers who've been such constructive players in the European Union. But there we are. Uh, A thank you to both my guests, Julian Glover and Sebastian Borger. The producer was Phil Maynard. Guardian Daily is back on Monday.